surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And this show was presented by Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities. And it's that time of year where the humidity and the dew point are now through the roof. And you need to make sure that you have the proper attire for those days. Mercury Mile is the best place to get it. You just stay in your home. Purchase it at mercurymile.com. Takes three easy steps. Then they send you out a box of curated goodies just for you. You keep what you love. You send back what you don't. And you can save 10 bucks by using code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 at checkout. So that's mercurymile.com. Today's episode is with Ben Rosario. Ben is one of the best runners, best runners, one of the best running coaches in the country. He has his team, NAZ Elite just fully stocked with some of the best men and women in the country. And they are just doing wonderful things, not only in terms of their production and execution, but the way they share their running journeys in a way that I can certainly appreciate it. I couldn't wait to get Ben on the episode today to talk about young prodigies versus late bloomers. And we really focused on the late bloomer part of that. What is talent? How can it be cultivated? And all things in that genre. This is a little bit of a departure from the, the conversations I usually have, which are kind of like feature stories, learning all about people's backgrounds and things like that. We'll definitely touch on Ben's background a little bit, but we're really trying to be a little more topical in this particular conversation, and I hope you like it. So here's my conversation with Ben. Hello, Ben, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Welcome indeed. Uh, I'm glad to be here and uh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So I've been a fan of yours for a while. We were just talking about this. You've been on a lot of podcasts and I don't know if I've heard all of them. I feel like I have though, because you're, you're a wealth of information and you work with athletes who are also not only very talented, but also very engaging. So thanks for everything you're doing for the running community to kind of not only uh, bring information out there, but doing so in a very engaging way. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we try to be open and honest uh, whenever we're answering questions, and we try to say yes to every interview and every podcast we can possibly do. Uh, and I, I do think we've been on a lot of them lately because, fortunately, we've had a lot of success, uh, especially this year so far. So, um, and podcasts have become so popular. So we've we've had a lot of requests in the last few months, and and I've tried to listen like you I've tried to listen to all of them that we've been on and uh, I think they've I think they've gone really well so uh, you know again appreciate you saying that oh my pleasure and actually you've helped me with a project that still right now hasn't been released yet I think in two weeks we're gonna go live with it so uh, I'm also you know happy with that so we're gonna keep that on the download for now but in two <laughs> weeks we're announcing a new show which you helped me with uh, and, I know what no you're talking about but I won't say anything <laughs> no so I'm excited for that so um, my normal show format and the people who are listening uh, are probably pretty familiar with is, is, you know, it's more of like a feature. I'll interview somebody, get their whole background, their life story and the challenges they face and all that. This is a departure from that. This is, I wanted to talk to you about something that I've thought about for a long time. And I think you have a lot of experience just from your experience as an athlete and as a coach. And that is the debate between a late bloomer versus a young prodigy. Not that they're always juxtaposed like that, 
but just the comparison of, say, like the Roberta Groners of the world who took, again, this is an extreme example, roughly 10 years off from running, and now is one of the top 10 American mar marathoners. And then someone like, say, Jordan Hesse, who's been kind of part of the running community since she's like before she was even in high school. People were aware of her and, and again, also a very accomplished runner. So thanks for coming on the show to talk about that. It's it, no, it's a really cool topic, and I think um, I think that's the way a lot of these podcasts are going to go now. Where you, you're going to have to, we're trying to do this with our own as well. You're going to have to kind of narrow it down a little bit, you know, and pick a topic because especially when it's someone who's been on a lot of podcasts and their story is out there, you can't just ask them normal questions about their story. It's already known. So uh, so zeroing in and and um, having a conversation about a particular topic makes a lot of sense to me, and I think. I think you're ahead of the game. All right. So you're the head coach of NAZ Elite, which is uh, you know one of the one of if not the best running teams here in the United States with you know great athletes on both the men's and women's side. But in addition to that, you were also an accomplished runner before getting into coaching. So just quickly, let's just talk about your own running story in terms of when did you realize that you had the potential to be you know, one of the best runners around. And I am being purposefully vague because if you were, if it was middle school around, it might have meant your middle school. But if it was a little bit later than that, maybe the community is larger. But when did you start to have the self realization that running was, you know, something that you were separating yourself from your peers in? Well, you're being very kind to say that I was accomplished, but I'll, I'll, I'll answer, I'll, I'll go ahead and answer <laughs> this. So, um, you know, I think, I think not unlike a lot of, folks, um, at least folks who really, uh, consider themselves runners. I, um, I got into it, you know, in middle school. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a teacher in seventh and eighth grade that was a runner. And remember it wasn't as big back then. We're talking about the early nineties. Um, and he, he was a runner and he put on a track meet in the spring and a cross country meet in the fall one. Uh, and, and I went to a little Catholic grade school in St. Louis and back then still today, but even more so then St. Louis was very parochial. So it was all, um, uh, divided up into these parishes and each parish had a, a parish school. And so, um, the, the track meet pitted, you know, the five biggest, uh, Catholic grade schools against one another in sort of a team format. And then in the fall, it was a little wider reach, uh, all the Catholic schools in the, in the entire city and, and even the county was invited. And, um, so, you know, those, that was my introduction, those two meets, one each, uh, or one each season. And I really liked it. Like, like most kids, you gravitate toward what you're good at, you know, and I was uh, an athlete. I enjoyed all the sports. I thought I was going to be a baseball player, you know, this kind of thing. And, um, then you realize you can't hit 65 mile an hour fastballs when the kids hit puberty, you know, so that's out. Um, and but, then, but, but to uh, be fair for a 12 year old, that's pretty good. That's pretty fast for 12 year old. Yeah. Kids. You know, but you know, it's a big <laughs> jump when you don't hit puberty and they do. And then it's like, oh, you know, so, um, you know, and no, anyway, I, 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 I was just good at it, you know, and so I liked it. And, um, and then when I went to high school, I was even more fortunate because I went to, um, a, a school with one of those huge programs, hundred kids and great coach and, uh, you know, he was a great motivator and, and then I was really hooked and, and really never looked back from there. So I would say from, I would say I fell in heavy like with running in middle school and then totally head over heels in love as, as soon as I was a freshman in high school. And what kind of success did you have when you were a freshman in high school? 
Yeah. So, to, you know, to, to get back to the uh, topic, I, I, you know, you could tell right away that I was, you know, good, uh, better than my peers, uh, my, my fellow, uh, freshmen, uh, or, or in eighth grade, you know, I, I won that cross country meet I was talking about and I won my events and that track meet I was talking about. So, you know, I had success right away and, and I was small. I was tiny. I was only about five foot tall, maybe, uh, 99 pounds when I went into high school. And so, um, to be running at that time, anyway, it was a good time. I think I ran, you know, in the low 18 minute range, my freshman year, at 5k cross country. That was pretty darn good for a fresh, for a freshman at that time. And so, yeah, I mean, you could tell that I had some talent. Now, at that age, were you aware of any like explosive speed as well, or was your ability on the in, on the track and in cross country something that was a departure from, say, the you know kind of the burst speed that maybe you showed or didn't show in like uh, ball and stick sports? You could definitely tell I was an endurance guy for sure. You know, if if I was going to race a kid on the playground, I wanted him to I wanted to race him around the playground <laughs> twice, you know, <laughs> not, not from fence to fence, you know? Um, so yeah, I knew that at an early age that, you know, or if it was soccer practice, you know, we were running laps, you know, I was the first around, you know, um, whereas I wasn't going to win every 50, 50 ball. So no, I think I had an inkling that, that I was an endurance type athlete, um, pretty early on. And, and when it came to high school, yeah, I wasn't the one necessarily winning the sprint type stuff, although it was very competitive. So I could, I could fake my way through it, but, but you could tell my talent lied in the longer distances. Yeah. And I feel like that's a talent that's harder to mine, right? Because if, you know, the, the short burst sports and just being able to play on the playground, say at a young age or playing with kids in your neighborhood, you know, being able to run fast for 50 to 100 yards is something that can be immediately apparent. Whereas, your superpower, as, as it were, is something that maybe isn't as easy to see unless, you know, which is kind of like a catch-22, unless you're already starting one of these sports, in which case you will have already found it. You know what I mean? Like it feels like that can be something that can be lost in people or not lost, maybe not found in some people until later in life, unless they get into one of these sports early enough to really identify it at a younger age. Yeah, that's probably a, that's probably a fair comment. I mean, you know, when you're, when you're pretty good, you, you seem like you're good at the short stuff too. It's not like I was getting my butt kicked mm. in, in, in sprints. I mean, I could sprint pretty well, you know, I just wasn't the fastest, you know, whereas then I would yeah. beat them at the longer stuff. Um, but I think, I think you're right in the sense that I can definitely think of, I mean, it's a long time ago now, but I can definitely think of guys on my freshman high school or my freshman team in high school that, you know, probably, you know, weren't even, very close on the sprints, but they were good, you know, they were good distance runners. And so, yeah, it, it is hard. Like, how do you figure that out? Um, hopefully, hopefully you just get introduced to it. You know, I mean, that's always my, um, one of my passions is just, um, making sure that no matter where I am, no matter what city I'm in, I'm, I'm trying to get involved in, in youth running in a way that just introduces them. Uh, that, that's all I ask, you know, because usually the kid can figure it out for himself or herself. Because again, they like doing things they're good at. So if you can introduce them to the mile run in, in gym class or um, uh, a road race, whatever it might be, they'll they'll figure it out. But you just got to give them the opportunity. Yeah. And you brought up something interesting there, too, that they're good at that. They like to do things that they're good at. 
which also brings that whole idea of like big pond versus small pond, you know, and then mm. also like the kind of competition and when, and being, when being introduced to competition, right? Because, and I agree with you, if you're, especially, you know, if, if a kid is good at something, they're more likely to do it. And then you create this positive reinforcement cycle, which is great. And it's so interesting though, but part of that can also be about being matched up in the right activity where they, you know, are able to either, um, you know, gain a certain amount of accolades for what they do, or at least they're under the impression that they're doing well. <laughs> like they're young enough age and receiving compliments for certain things. And maybe they're unaware of how good they actually are, but they're receiving compliments for it nonetheless. So I think part of that too is like, that's one of those issues that even as a parent that I have, where you want to make sure that like your kid is being introduced to things, but at the same time that they're not being thrown into the fire. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, their own passion for something gets squashed before it really has a chance to bloom. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And and I'd say you use the term catch 22. One thing I also saw though, was if, like you said, it depends on the size of the pool, right? Or the size of the pond. Um, if you have a child and he or she wants to join the local AAU team or, or USATF club or whatever you want to call it, like the junior Olympic type team, which I, I coached one of those, uh, back in St. Louis. Um, the challenge is that if they are good at running, they probably will have some success because those, that our sport, our sport at that level isn't as heavily participated in as it is in high school. Um, in high school, cross country and track are hugely popular by numbers, uh, but not so much in grade school and middle school. So if they run on one of those clubs and they're pretty good, they're probably going to win a lot and they're probably going to place on the podium a lot. And that can give them a little bit of a false sense of how good they are. So you do have to be careful with that. I would say, I remember a buddy of mine coming in cause I, I did just a little bit. Uh, I got introduced just a little bit to that side of things, kind of my eighth grade year going into freshman year. Uh, in addition to the stuff I had done with my school. And I remember one kid just thinking he was going to go into the high school level and be top 20 in the state right away as a freshman. Cause he had won all these things at the AAU level and he wasn't even close to that, you know? And I think it really kind of messed him up because he just had a false sense of how good he was. So that is something to be aware of that, um, if you're coaching one of those clubs or if you're a parent of one of those children to try your best to keep things in perspective. That's a great point for that middle ground, right? Where you have that, this idea of that you want to have a, like, a certain amount of success. So you're not discouraged, but at the same time, having a, of some sort of realistic sense of how good you are to compare to your competition, or at least what the competition actually is, right? Like if you're just like, say you're at a, a school with, you know, 300 kids and you're the best kid on your team, that may not necessarily mean that you're all that great. It might just be that you're like the tallest short person. Whereas, <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. like, you know, you, you mentioned you're, you're on a track team, cross country team that had over a hundred kids, which is, you know, I, I mean, I guess I can't make a, a, a broad based comparison here, but that, you know, from my understanding is a pretty big team that has a lot of like active kids, especially from a cross country perspective. So you must've been in a situation where at least you were able to have, you know, especially when you're a freshman, look up to the upperclassmen and say, okay, you know, how do I compare to these kids and can I see myself getting to where they are? Oh, yeah. It gave me something to shoot for. It gave me a carrot and um, it kept you humble too because 
you're it takes a while on a team like that to get up to the point where you're on the varsity and then where you're top five and then you know if you're fortunate enough number one guy that uh or number one uh female that that takes a while you know uh, on those type of teams and I think it's an advantage because it keeps you grounded in reality. Whereas, you know, if you come in and it challenges you, you know, but if you come in and you're on a small team and you're the best person from day one, oh man, I mean, that's good in a way, but it's also tough because you get all the attention, which is kind of neat. But then again, you get all the pressure, uh, which isn't as neat. And uh, if you're not careful, you can get lulled into a false sense of security because you're not being challenged on a daily basis um, by your teammates. It's a little easier today than it was back in my day because now you have social media so you can see uh, what all these other kids are doing and what kind of times are being run all over the city and all over the state, no matter where you are. You know, back in my day in the 90s, you had to wait for Harrier Magazine to come out uh, <laughs> each week and, and, and you would get like a few results from around the country, but they didn't really mean much. So um, it's just a whole different ballgame now. Now, when you were in your late teens, early 20s, what was your opinion um, on kind of the basis for how people became, you know, really good at running? How much of it was nature versus nurture when you were at that age? How did you view that that concept? Well, as an athlete, I I definitely liked to believe that it was nurture. You know, I, I definitely bought into the idea that, hey, the harder I work, the, the better I'm going to get, you know? Um and I tended to uh, follow and or become a fan of the types of athletes that seemed like really hard workers, you know. Um, there was two guys. Now, of course, it's funny because, of course, these two guys were very talented. Uh, but there were two guys in the early 2000s. Uh, and I, I guarantee if you're my age and you're you're in the sport like I was, I guarantee you'll know what I'm talking about. But um, if you're listening, but um there were two guys that shared their training logs online, which again, online was just starting, you know, it was so new, but their names were Luke Watson and Tom McArdle. And it was just uh, revolutionary to be able to read uh, these guys training day in and day out. So Luke went to Notre Dame and Tom McArdle went to Dartmouth and they were both all Americans and both, you know, really, really good runners. And you saw that they were running a hundred miles a week. You saw that they were running 18 mile long runs. You saw that they were running, you know, certain splits on, on their workouts. And it just, it just was mind blowing because it, 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 it opened your eyes to the possibilities of, um, what could be done. <laughs> uh, and, and up to that point, especially in the nineties, people were just weren't training like that, you know? So the, the two thousands were the advent of the, the sort of the, the re, um, introduction of, of high mileage, you know, that had been gone since the, 70s and 80s and so uh, reading about those guys and and seeing at least in my mind that hey all the work they're putting on and putting in that's what's producing these results it never it never occurred to me to think oh yeah well it's just because they're really talented you know in my mind it was hey they're working hard and this is what they're producing so at least at that time in my life it was all just hey work hard and get better and when you had that point when you had that frame of mind what did you view your own ceiling to be as a runner? I think like a lot of runners, I probably I probably uh got ahead of myself. You know, I probably dreamed a little bit too much. I probably lived in a little bit of a fantasy land. Uh not complete utter delusion, uh but I I I definitely you know was skipping steps in my mind. Uh you know, I wanted I was a division 2 athlete and 
I wanted to win a Division Two national title, which was crazy, you know, with where I was and, and the talent I had. It, it just it just wasn't realistic at the time, you know. Um, and I think it 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 really was a detriment to um, my college career in a lot of ways because I just wanted so badly to be at a level that I just wasn't at yet. And uh, I know you're going to get into this with the late bloomer and that kind of thing, but I, I was a late bloomer physically. You know, I, I was when I went to college, man, I looked like a high school sophomore. You know, and uh, and and I and really that's what I was like physically. And so, you know, I'm running against grown men, and I just wasn't uh, physically mature enough to be able to run the sorts of times that I I wanted to be able to run, and uh, it just really set me up for failure, honestly. So. Um, that's one thing I'm really aware of nowadays, even with the pro athletes is just making sure that we're grounded in reality and, and, um, we're just taking, uh, incremental steps and, and getting better, um, each segment and each year. Uh, but we're doing it, um, sort of with that optimistic reality, <laughs> uh, or in, in, in that optimistic reality, not, um, not, not shooting, uh, so far ahead that we're going to basically fail every time that gets old, you know? And, and I think that's what I was like, honestly. So was this more of a mental failure because you were getting discouraged or was it a physical failure because you were burning out trying to reach a level that you weren't quite ready for? You know, it really wasn't physical because I actually was quite durable. Uh, that was, if I had one talent, that was probably it. I could, I could run a ton and not really get hurt and not really, um, get all that tired. Um, it was more just, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't even discouraged cause I loved it. So I was so passionate about it. I, it wasn't even really that I was discouraged. It was just, it was just that I was, um, probably racing. Uh, I, it, okay. I'll, I'll explain it this way. Like in a race. And, and I think people can probably relate to this. If you have an unrealistic goal, and the race gets going and it's not happening how you want it to because what you wanted to happen wasn't realistic in the first place. You get discouraged in the race, you know, and you end up probably finishing farther back and running slower than you would have if your goal had been realistic. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've talked to groups in the past and I've said, hey, if you continually aren't hitting your goal, maybe you're not the problem. Maybe your goal was the problem, you know, and um and I think I think that's what was happening to me is I was probably underperforming because I was um, setting my goals too high. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I, you know, not only does it make sense because you explained it well, but I feel like you just told like half of my running life <laughs> in that <laughs> in that short monologue. So I can yeah. I absolutely can relate to it in more ways than one. That's for sure. Okay, so you described yourself as a late bloomer. Uh, physically for you, when did your body get to the point where you were able to then capitalize on the natural talents that you were gifted in conjunction with putting in the effort to kind of let those come out? Mid to late twenties, I would say mid to late twenties. And, and in a sense, you know, it did validate some of the dreams I had earlier because I really did feel like I was talented. You know, I, I really did feel like I was good. There were certain things that I could do that other people just couldn't do, you know, but I, but I just wasn't strong enough yet to, to put it all together. Uh, but then once, once I was really a full grown adult, which for me wasn't until, you know, really my mid twenties, I even grew an inch in college, which most people don't do. Um, but after running a hundred and some odd miles a week for, you know, pro I'd say probably 
and this is in all honesty, a lot of people exaggerate their mileage, but I'm not exaggerating. I, I'd say from the time I was 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, probably five straight years for five years, I probably averaged over a hundred miles a week for five straight years. And that's including Holy cow, down man. weeks and well, cause I ran for the Hansons, you know, from, from when out of college. So, you know, I, I put together a lot of 120 mile weeks, uh, when I was in Michigan and, um, you know, I, I just never got hurt, you know? So, so the, the accumulation of all that mileage and work, plus my body really finally being physically mature. Um, I felt the best when I was, you know, 25 through 28, you know, I just felt on top of the world. Now, when I was 26 is when I started, uh, the run specialty stores I owned in St. Louis, uh, with my buddy, Matt. So my mileage kind of took a little bit of a hit when I would say, when I, I guess I would say when I got to be 27. Um, but that was again, after five years of running a hundred miles a week. So I could afford to back off on the mileage a little bit. And, uh, man, I could just, I could just really rip some workouts and, and I actually even ran fast. Um, I ended up running a four Oh three mile when I was 29 years old. Um, which I had never, I mean, in college, my PR was 419. Uh, but I think that was just, again, because I was such a late bloomer physically that, um, from a power perspective, like a testosterone perspective, I just didn't even think of myself as, as a fast guy in college because I didn't have that kind of power, but then I had it, you know, later in life. And you described yourself as someone who you thought was talented deep down, even though your body hadn't reached the point where it was able to you know, kind of bring that to the fore, so to speak. So when you think, when you hear the words, a runner is talented, or if you say them about somebody else, what does that mean to you? What do we do? What are the characteristics that you assigned to running talent? Well, there's stereotypical talent, like the, the, the basic stuff that everybody thinks of, you know, the, the, the example I usually use is, okay, you know, there's the kid in gym class in fifth grade that, you know, he or she goes out and breaks six minutes in the mile, you know, just boom off the bat, no training, no nothing. You know, um, that's, that's just what we, I think that's what most of us think of as talent. And I, I had that kind of talent, you know, um, I, I was good at running right, right from the get go, you know, um, but I wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, nationally good. You know, I wasn't that kind of, that kind of runner. There's some people that are like that, you know, right. Like Jordan Hesse, who you mentioned at the, at the top of the show. Um, and I've, and I've coached kids like that. Um, so that is certainly the stereotypical kind of talent that we, that we speak of, but then there are a whole host of other talents that are required ultimately to be great at distance running, particularly at the, at the professional level. Uh, one of those is durability, you know, uh, your, your tendons and your ligaments and your bones, uh, need to be naturally genetically strong. Um, if you're getting hurt all the time, you're just really limited in, in what you can do because you're limited in, in how hard you can train. Um, another talent is uh, mental. You know, you have to be mentally very, very strong. You have to be a person who can go deep, deep, deep into the well and uh, override the signals that tell you to slow down, you know, during a race. And that's a talent, I think. Uh, it, can, it can be worked on, but um, it's a talent. And um, I would say... I would say you have to have all of those sorts of talents to be really, truly great. These are all great examples. I love the mental one too. Your buddy, Matt Fitzgerald, you know, wrote a whole book about this exact topic, but that was like the preface was him going back into high school and reliving some of the times where he didn't quite, um, 
reached the pinnacle of mental toughness. And I, there's, there's another talent that after interviewing 175 people for this show that has really come to the forefront for me. And it's those kids that I think this is more genetic than anything else. It's those kids who then just, you know, grow, who become adults who just have this endless energy. Like they're just constantly <laughs> yeah. moving. Again, this isn't necessarily an athletic talent. Like they can put this, this superpower towards anything. Like it doesn't even have to be an athletic pursuit, but those people who we all know who like are just endless energy, they never get tired seemingly and just can do things for hours on end. You know, these are the people who like, you know, like someone like say Sarah Bishop who like morphs from, you know, um, running marathons to then becoming, you know, going number two at the Chattanooga 70.3 because she just like picks up another sport and just goes, you know, five hours a day on it. And that's not really an issue. And then can parent four kids afterwards. Right. Like I feel like this is that that's one of those talents that isn't necessarily athletic related, but can translate to athletics. Well, yeah. And I, I would even tell you for, forget transitioning to triathlon or, or ultras or anything like that. They transition into the workspace. You know, they, they transition, mm. transition into, into corporate America or uh, run specialty or whatever they might do. And they're, and they're able to work at a level and function <laughs> at a level that other people just can't function at, you know? And so I agree with you a hundred percent that that's absolutely a talent, um, th th you know, call it hard work or, or whatever you want to call it, but that ability to just go, 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 go. Uh, that is something that seems to be a pretty popular trait among high level athletes. Not all of them, not all of them, but definitely. Uh, a good percentage um, have that sort of innate uh, ability. So let's talk about your own talent identification, evaluation, and recruitment for NAZ Elite because you're obviously trying to bring in the best people possible. So let's just set aside like you want to have high character, people, right? You mm -hmm. don't want to have people who are going to poison the well for everybody else. So let's just like, let's just put that aside. You want to have high quality people. So let's just say that's a given. But regarding their physical ability, some of the characteristics we just mentioned, and then also their ability to improve. What are some of the things that you really try to look at when identifying people that you want to approach for your team? Yeah, this is a really good question. And of course, it's summertime. So it's right in the middle of recruitment season for a, a new class. Um, so these things are pretty fresh in my mind. Um, well, I'll start with the mental, actually. Because, you know, things are so deep right now. There's so many athletes that have great times. You know, that's not really as much of a separator as it maybe once was, you know. Um, so you ha I like to watch their races and look at their history and their race history and their college career. And, you know, did these people win? You know, did they win races? Were, were they able to – because especially in close races, you know, if, if there's 800 meters to go and there's six guys there or six ladies there – they're probably all pretty darn close in ability level, you know? And so which of those athletes is able to find a way to, to, to dig down deep and find another gear that the others aren't willing to go to, you know? Um, that's a big deal for me. Um, are they able to handle the biggest stages? You know, are they able to go to the national championships and have their best race of the year? That's really important. Um, I would say, you know, from a mental aspect, that's how I can figure out uh, what kind of mental makeup they have, if if that makes some sense. 
So do you, so does that mean that you feel like that sort of mental ability is something that is hard to coach into people that like you want that kind of ready made already and already ingrained in them. So you don't have to worry about trying to instill it in them from the ground up. Well, I'd prefer it, <laughs> but I, <laughs> no, I mean, I'd prefer it, but I, I, no, I, I don't think that it's a lost cause if you haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I don't want to keep talking about myself, but I do think this is a good example. I told you before that I would fail in races and get discouraged during the race because I'd set my goals too high and I didn't, um, you know, properly assess where I was at. Right. I, I will say this later. Uh, I was actually, I, I was pretty darn tough later. Um, now it was too late. I wish I would have figured it out earlier. Uh, but when I was running a little bit more, I guess you would say semi pro kind of, you know, almost for fun when I had my stores, there were some races, man. I went to the well. I went deep, way deeper than I ever had before. And it was kind of a product, honestly, of, in a strange way, not caring as much. Uh, I cared so darn much before that uh, then when I had the stores and the stores were my priority, I could step to the line of a race and just, just kind of the whole purpose of it was to see how deep I could go, you know, and see if I could pull this thing out of my butt, basically on very little training. Um, and just I, that became fun for me and I figured out how to do it. So I know... I know you can figure it out. Um, so I don't think it's, it's necessarily only innate. Uh, but to, to answer your question, uh, of course, you know, I would, I would prefer not to have to <laughs> work and work and work to try to get that out of them. I would love, I would love them to already be that, uh, type of person. But, uh, you know, it's a challenge. I, I, I don't think that many people really in college have already figured it out. Um, because it's, it's not easy. So only the people that had it sort of innate, uh, as an innate trait, um, are, are, are already sort of masters of it. Everybody else has to get better as they go. So when you're looking at kids to recruit to your teams, so you're looking at people who are traditionally, you know, looking at your past classes that you brought in, you know, we're talking about people in their young twenties. Um, mm -hmm. How long, like what kind of timeline are you thinking about when you're trying to project what they're going to do with your team? Like how many years is your initial thought process? Like, okay, we want to get this person to this level in how many years? Like what, what kind of time frame are you usually putting on that? Yeah. And I can, I can segue this back to the second part of your previous question as well about, you know, their ceiling and trying to figure out physically how good they can really be. Uh, you know, it's going to take a while. I mean, the, the, the challenge I think for our group as opposed to others, because we're more distance oriented. So we're not recruiting 1500 meter runners, um, steeplers, you know, um, 800 meter runners, things like that, where, you know, I mean, say in the 800, if you're a, if you're a, a woman who ran 203, let's say in college or 202, basically you're going to work and work and work to get down to 159. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, it's only three seconds, you know, you're trying to get. So you're already pretty close to, to, where you want to get, um, in, in the distances, because there's so much more to be gained aerobically and aerobic fitness over time can produce such great results. Um, it, it is a long-term process. I, I don't know if I could give you a number of years. Um, you know, it varies. I mean, a guy like Scott Fauble came in and, you know, in his first year, he improved 43 seconds in the 10,000. It was fourth at the Olympic trials. And the next year he was a 212 marathoner. And now he's a 209 marathoner. And I don't know, his, his, his trajectory has just been through the roof. Um, but then there's, you know, Stephanie Bruce on our team who, 
she's setting PRs now at 35 years old. Um, you know, if I recruited her at 22, would I have said, okay, I think we're going to give this person 13 years. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible, you know, to know. I, I just think you have to look at them and say, okay, does this person have a big upside? You know, and I don't know if you can put a number of years on it, but do they have a big upside? So in other words, are they really close to their ceiling already? Because maybe they were at a program that's training like a professional team and there's only so much better they can really get. Um, or is this person going to continue to improve and do they have a lot of room to improve? And so, you know, those aren't easy uh, answers, but those are the questions I'm asking. And I'm so glad you are because that's exactly where I wanted to go. So when determining or trying to determine upside, obviously there are so many variables to account for. How much of this is science versus art and instinct? I think it's a lot art and instinct, you know, um, you know, the, the males are heavily on my mind only because that's who we happen to be recruiting this summer. So pardon me, uh, if I keep using male examples, but you know, like in the 10,000 meters, you know, not all 10 K PRs are created equal. You know, where did you set the PR? You know, um, what was the race like? Was it, windy and rainy or was it Stanford, you know, um, you know, what, um, what place did you get in that race? Did you sit in line and get dragged along to that PR or did, or were you part of making that race happen? You know, um, these are sort of the things you look at when you're trying to determine upside because, uh, and, and how many times did you do it? You know, did, did you, did you catch a flyer and, and run one really good race or have you been consistent over the last couple of years? Um, I think if the answer is yes, this person has been consistent. Yes, this person has been consistently better. Uh, yes, this person was, was competing. Uh, and, and the times that he's produced were a byproduct of competing really well up front in races. Then you start to check off the boxes that I'm looking to check off. Um, you know, on the female side, um, honestly, it's, it's much the same. You know, I, I think people try to, Trying to act like males and females are so incredibly different. And I've heard, and I think it's so incorrect. Oh, females are so much dif more difficult to work with. And oh, they can be so, it's so much more difficult for women to get along with one another. And I just think that's a bunch of BS. Uh, we've, we've got a, a great group of women here and they get along wonderfully. And, um, they're, they're just as easy to work with as the men. Uh, maybe if not easier. Uh, so when I'm looking at the females, it's the same thing. I'm looking at um, the exact same things I just mentioned on the male side. Uh, the only thing I would say, and it's just it's just a fact, is um, sometimes there's a little bit more of that plateauing uh, or maybe even a little bit of regression when you look at the trajectory uh, of a female uh, sometimes. And so you have to look at that and see, okay, um, this 10 KPR was set as a freshman, um, now they're actually getting a little bit slower as the years go by. That's a problem, you know, when you're talking about upside. So, um, I don't know, long winded answer, but those are the things I'm looking at. And then when you're also looking at this late bloomer model, like you were in, how much can be said for someone maybe with a background like yours, right? So you're a D2 runner. And then as you got older and more experience and there are other factors as well, you kind of came into your own as a runner. So what can be said for looking at someone who maybe didn't come from 
you know, the high powered ACC Pac-12 background and kind of like is someone who maybe is a little bit more of an unpolished diamond that, again, this stuff must be harder to identify. It's not like you have eyes on every runner in the country, but someone who's more of an unpolished product, but who maybe has some of these qualities that would allow them with some you know additional training and more one-on-one attention at the higher level to really get to the point where they can succeed with some of their peers who maybe had a little bit more going for them in their late teens, early 20s? It's really hard. It's really hard um, because there is a point where, you, you, I mean, you have to show some talent. You know, ultimately what we're really looking for is <laughs> the best of both worlds, right? We're, we're looking for the 2840 guy or the 1540 uh, 5K female that is untapped, you know? That's really the challenge is figuring out, because there's so many of them, but figuring out which ones are untapped. You know, it's not really looking for the 1615 female or the 2940 guy, uh, because ultimately, even if they're untapped and they're going to get a lot better, they would have to improve so much. I mean, I mean, you know, you've been very nice to me acting like, you know, I got so much better and I did get better, but look, I was a 30 minute 10 K guy and I got down to two eighteen in the marathon. I mean, that's about right. You know, um, there's just not that many, um, people that have, you know, PRs that just aren't that great that become great. You know, they can become really good, but obviously at the pro level, we're looking for great. So really the challenge is, you know, finding a guy like Scott Fauble, who was pretty much a baby face kid uh, who had run 2843 and finished 12th at NCAA cross, probably pretty underdeveloped physically still. That's the kid who's going to make the big jump. Um, the underdeveloped kid who runs 2940 is going to make a big jump, but he's not going to become a 209 marathoner, you know? And so that that's where the challenge lies really is, is looking at those times uh, and trying to, t- to determine via you know, looking at the trajectory and looking at their training, if you can get your hands on it um, and uh, talking to their coaches and uh, watching, you know, videos and seeing, okay, this person looks young and yet has still run this fast. I think they've got a lot of room to grow. They haven't gotten hurt. Um, they seem very durable. They seem very mentally strong. The, if you have all those things, then then that's the untapped, untapped potential you're looking for. Uh, but they've got to have already shown somehow that they're that they have a, an ability to run really, really fast. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know the baseball scouting analogy is if you have two two baseball, no, two hitters who are running to first, they both get there in the same time. One guy has good form. One guy has awful form. Which guy do you want to take? And like your natural inclination, maybe not for a running coach, is to say, I'll take the guy with the great form. That sounds awesome. But the yeah. scout, the, the, the good scout's like, no, I'll take the guy with the bad form. Because once I give him good form, he'll be even faster than that other guy. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. I get what you're saying. It is a little funny for running because I do like to look at form, but, but I will, I will say about form, it, it can be a little deceiving. You know, it can be a little deceiving because everybody has a little quirk. You know, everybody has a little, mm. little, little arm that kind of swings wide or, uh, you know, a knee that turns a little bit in or something. I mean, we can't all be Evan Jagger, you know? So, um, Hey, you speak know, for yourself, definitely... Rosario. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I am definitely looking at, at form, but it's not the end-all be-all. 
Oh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate uh, your insight here. If someone wants to learn more about your team and your daily goings on, you mentioned how you loved following other runners in the early 2000s. I know your team does a great job of something similar. What's the best place for people to go? Well, there, there's there's uh, kind of a, a a whole host of places. I mean, you can follow us on Twitter at NAZ Elite. You can follow us at uh, on Instagram at NAZ underscore Elite. Um, we just, uh, you can go on Facebook and, and look us up there. Although we just launched, um, if you go to the Hoka NAZ Elite fan page on Facebook, you can request membership. Um, we just launched that yesterday and we've got, it's kind of like crazy how many people are signing up and that we're going to put a bunch of stuff on there. Uh, but we're just all over the place. And if you go on our website, nazelite.com, you can check out all our athletes and, um, you know, follow them on Twitter. And so it's just, it's just kind of a constant stream of, um, information and content that we're putting out uh, pretty much on a daily basis. It sure is. Thank you so much, Ben. Okay. Appreciate it. Ben, thank you again for coming on to this episode of the Rambling Runner podcast. Also a big shout out to Mercury Mile. They have all the top running gear that you need to get ready for your summer endeavors. Check them out at mercurymile.com. Thank you so much for listening, sharing, rating, and reviewing the show. I couldn't be more appreciative. I love doing this show, and I love seeing the feedback you're able to provide. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at rambling underscore runner, also at ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.